danger is stealing in as relapse sums above the den. It's hard to know if this will Hello and welcome to episode 365 of the Thinking Poker podcast from Owings Mills, Maryland. I'm Andrew Brokus. I'll be joined shortly by Carlos Welch in Las Vegas, Nevada. And Carlos and I will be interviewing uh, John Ornoy and Sean Farquhar, uh, who are two of the brains uh, behind a new documentary called Lost in the Shuffle, which is about um, the history of playing cards and also uh, kind of about, so Sean is a, uh, a professional magician, um, including a two-time world champion in, in card magic. Um, so a lot of this is from the perspective of how magicians interact with cards, uh, which, you know, I thought was interesting uh, parallel. Obviously, uh, cards quite important for the poker player. And uh, probably after poker player or professional card player, um, you know, magician is, is probably the next profession that uh, most uses playing cards. So it's pretty interesting um, comparing notes with these guys. Uh, John Ornoy is the filmmaker uh, behind the film, also has a considerable interest in magic himself, and then uh, Sean being a professional magician. So we speak to the two of them uh, about the film, about you know what being a professional magician looks like in in general, uh, how the uh, the world championship of magic, uh, you know, similar to or, or dissimilar from the World Series of Poker. Uh, lots of interesting stuff there. Just this was just a very fun uh, fun episode, a fun peek into uh, a profession that is you know in, in many ways not that similar to to poker, but that there are these certain parallels with it, and, and they're both kind of fringe uh, things that attract some some pretty interesting people. Um, speaking of which, there's one person in particular who comes up in the conversation, a person named uh, Richard Turner, who is, uh, I guess, according to, I was not someone I had heard of before, but um, according to, to Sean and John, and this is very plausible <laughs> when you watch, uh, if you see anything of Richard, uh, the, the best card mechanic in the world, uh, also blind, which is an interesting twist on that. Um, so we talked some about Richard, and uh, you can see both a, a trailer for this film and also uh, some excerpts of the interview with uh, Richard, which is pretty fascinating in its own right. Uh, you can see those at lostintheshuffle.com. Um, so that'll be the place to, uh, to learn more about the film. Um, I'm sure there's a link to their, um, their Kickstarter, which is, as of the time that we're posting this, still live for a few more days. So if you want to back the film, uh, you can do that, but mostly just enjoy the interview. Um, do not have a strategy segment for you this week. Uh, you can go back last week's episode, uh, 364, was pure strategy. Of course, if you want um, lots of strategy from us, the place to get that is Thinking Poker Daily. Uh, Patreon.com slash Thinking Poker Daily. You can get access to a daily strategy segment from uh, Carlos and myself. Um, definitely encourage you to check that out. There's a lot of uh, a lot of good stuff there. Um, also, want to let you know that we are starting our uh, I don't know if it's right to call it a Black Friday sale, our November sale, um, and the Thinking Poker store. So, uh, as of today, which is Monday, November fifteenth. 
uh, as of today through November 30th, uh, so for the rest of the month, the entire store is 15% off. So you can get 15% off the Weekend Warrior podcasts, 15% off the ebook versions of my books, 15% off the Exploiting Small Stakes tournaments of, uh, series that our video that I did with uh, Carlos. Lots of great stuff there on the store. All of that is at knitcast.com, N-I-T-C-A-S-T.com. Uh, no promo code needed. You'll just get 15% off anything that you buy there between now and the end of November. November 2021. Thank you all for uh, all your listening and support throughout the year, and please enjoy our interview with John Ornoy and Sean Farquhar. Have you guys had ever had a, uh, a documentary or like a film on the show? Um, certainly not a documentary filmmaker. Um, I guess we've had maybe a long time ago like a filmmaker. Oh, actually, we've had um, uh, Brian Koppelman has been on the show a couple of times, who is a uh, director of Rounders, um, or not not director, uh, uh, writer of of Rounders. So I guess he is not uh, not a director, but has been a um, a writer and producer, maybe. Yeah, well, that's a great film. film. I love it when they actually stay kind of accurate to what was supposed to happen. Yeah, I mean, he arguably, or that that film, um, probably not even arguably. I mean, was is pretty responsible for the popularity of poker and the the current popularity of of poker in America. Like a lot of people, myself included, that was like. I mean, I was interested in it before that, but that was a pretty big hook for me. Big hook in there. But have you ever seen the movie Shade? I have not. I've never even heard of it. Ah. Go look for that. It's got uh, kind of that rounders feeling, but uh, the person who wrote it was into magic. So all the characters are people like Di Vernon and Larry Jennings, even though they're not them or even try to be the character. They just use those names. And there's plenty of great stuff about mucking and seconds and all. It's Sylvester Stallone's in it. Got really bad ratings because the movie kind of sucks, but it's fun for the card side of it. That's fascinating. Um, shade, as in like the shade that you create when you're doing seconds or center deals and things. Yeah, I'm actually curious to ask you. I'm, I'm very interested in terminology, and, and poker, of course, has a lot of its own uh, jargon, but it was interesting hearing you talk with um, uh, Richard uh, and just sort of that, that uh, I mean, I could kind of figure out from context what those what those terms mean, but it, that's quite interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's not, uh, gambling is a, is a huge uh, source of um, card magic. So like so many of the techniques and ideas um, that magicians use today were sourced and originated around card tables. That's it. All right, so I, I got I to gotta get introductions from you guys. This is, this is all good stuff here. <laughs> Let's say it all when it's being timed. Yeah. Um, well, so first off, thank you guys for, uh, for, for reaching out to us. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, especially after watching the, the trailers and things for the film, I'm, I'm quite excited to talk to you. And I know that, uh, that, that Carlos is as well. Um, yes. I'm not sure, you know, sort of up to you, uh, which one of you will, will uh, wants to explain uh, what, what the film is, but let, let's start there. You know, what, what is this project that you're, uh, that you're working on together? 
Lost in the Shuffle is a, a feature-length documentary um, that explores the long history between uh, playing cards and magicians. Um, playing cards have become pretty much the essential go-to tools uh, for most magicians. Um, and to me, I found that pretty fascinating because they're pretty simple. There's not a lot to them. Uh, we've all held them in our hands. We probably have a couple of packs in our junk drawer, and they become so commonplace um, that we don't really see them anymore. But you put a deck of, high, deck of cards in the hands of a magician, and they completely transform to something really different and special and wonderful. And the amount of creativity that's drawn from these simple like 52 cards um, is incredible and doesn't seem to have any kind of limit. And so that's what really drew me to the idea um, to explore from, you know, as one artist as a filmmaker, to explore the creative process of another class of artists through magicians who I really respect. And John, you're the, the producer and the director of the film? That's correct. Okay, and, and Sean, what's your, uh, what's your role? Uh, I'm, um, I'm a magician, two-time world champion of magic in the card magic field. And uh, so I'm one of the five subjects that will be in the film. Uh, I'm the person that uh, John, I think, was inspired to make a documentary about after coming to see me do uh, a show. I have a, a little venue called Hidden Wonders uh, where I do a lot of uh, card magic, which is very... Um, the card magic is very poker-based and uh, uh, expose and uh, kind of opening people's eyes to uh, what they held in their hand all their life and never realized what they held. What does it mean to say that the magic is poker-based? Um, so uh, uh, I love to do magic effects uh, where I would demonstrate uh, how I can cheat using magic or how a magician uh, would use magic in a poker game uh, to win the game. You know, all that stuff you're not supposed to do that most of your listeners are, 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 are totally against. When you sit across the table in a seedy little bar and you play poker, you don't know who those other people are. Mm -hmm. It could just be me sitting there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and sometimes it'll be me and a friend, and the friend will win while, while, you know, I lose and look really angry. And then afterwards, me and my friend will split it in the parking lot. <laughs> yeah, this is so, a famous scene from Rounders uh, features that uh, exactly that plot. <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, pretty much a real thing. Um, I belong to a group called the Vancouver Magic Circle, the International Brotherhood of Magicians, Ring 92. And we used to have a friend, Jason, in the club who for 12 years studied with us, learned. And then one day he said he was done making the, as he said, chump change as a magician. So what are you going to do? He says, I'm going to work poker rooms in California. I was like, what? And seven years later, we saw him, and he, he was very well off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I will say, as, as a person who makes a living playing cards, um, it, it is it is both fascinating and terrifying to see the um, <laughs> the things that are a person Precisely. such as yourself Precisely. can can do with the deck. When you think that what you know and what you've seen, but <clears throat> you make a living playing with cards, and yet you probably don't know a lot about the cards. You, if I said what's odd about them, you'll th say things like one-eyed jacks, right? You know that's an oddity, or that the ace of spades is a bigger uh, index than the other cards, but you don't know much else about it, right? And it's the tool you use every day. Uh, yeah, that's probably accurate. Yeah, like like if you were to count up the pips on a deck of cards, do you know how many pips there are? Uh, I mean, I would I would have to do the math in my head. I, I certainly don't oh, know off the top of my head. Oh, it's 365. Ah, okay. <laughs> 52 cards, 52 weeks, 365 pips, 365 days, 13 cards in each suit, which are the 13 lunar cycles, four suits, the four seasons. 
You know all that, right? I did not know <laughs> any of that. Oh, isn't that crazy? <laughs> that is. Just warmed up. <laughs> well, John, yeah, I, I knew everything. Knew everything except for the number of pips. Uh, so that that was surprising. That's cool, right? Yeah, I'm currently here at the World Series of Poker um, right now, so I'm pretty sure a lot of um, uh, my coworkers are happy that you're not here. Exactly. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're sitting down across the table from Sean. I mean, you guys can't see him right now, but you would never, you, you'd never suspect. <laughs> my exactly. favorite is a lot of people that play poker will ask me after a show. They go, so, you know, I play prof- professional poker, and I'm just curious, are you banned? And my standard response is, they only ban the people they catch. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, sh- should you be banned? I mean, if, if you're not the one dealing, if, if you're just a player who's getting cards dealt to him, what's what's the danger? You're right. Except for there's what they call advantage players, right? And there's stuff that you can do that that's outside of it. it, it there There is still stuff that can be done. I'm, I'm curious, what, what is that stuff? Um, uh, scratching? Have you heard of scratching? Like marking the cards? Like uh, nail, nail yeah, marking but, is what I've... Um, I could wear a finger ring that just has a little pin uh, on it so that when I push the cards back towards you, I can mark the, the center point of the card as a high card. So if it's going out of a shoe, right. I can actually tell when the high cards are there and the low cards if I'm playing, let's say, blackjack. Yeah, I've heard of people doing this just with their fingernail, even. Of, yeah. Um, yeah. It, better with a fingernail than the ring. I gave the ring as an example because that's what the amateurs would do, and they get caught because now they have a tool that they can be arrested for, mm. where a fingernail you can't be arrested for. Oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, I, I was going to ask you, but I think this question has, has maybe already answered itself. What was it that, uh, that, that drew you to Sean or made you want to, to make a uh, film featuring him? Uh, I've been watching Magic my entire life. I never thought I would ever have, you know, meet one of the best magicians in the world and, and sit down with him. So I went to, yeah, a couple of years back. It was my birthday. I had an opportunity to go see his performance. Um, it was a tiny room. There were maybe 20 of us there. So we're all sitting 10 feet away. Um, and just all of these mind-blowing things were impossible things were just happening right in front of your face. Um, and I love that. And so I did something I'd never done before, and I contacted a performer after a show and said I had a really great time. Can I buy you a beer? And Sean likes beer. I do. <laughs> so so um, it didn't necessarily start off with um, you know this idea, but um, I just went there as you know as a fan and just wanted to talk magic. And like I said, um, I work in the creative field, and um, I but I've always been really fascinated in the creative process of magicians because. You have to be so skilled at so many different um, tasks and to be able to seamlessly integrate them all together in a way that no one will ever notice and to make it look easy and to make people laugh. Um, it's just it's a, such a different process than what I'm used to doing. And so I found that a really something I definitely wanted to explore. Um, and then just, you know, after a few meetings with Sean, we started, you know, just talking and then Sean started telling me this uh, court card conspiracy um, idea that he had. Um, about the designs of the cards and that really grabbed me because the idea that there could be this clues to a cold case murder that's 500 years old that's been under our noses this entire time um, was was yeah I couldn't let go of that yeah is, is that something that you want to uh, explain here or do you I guess you can say however much of that you want without uh, you know giving away the, the punchline of the, the film but you know what what is what's the whole cold case angle 
Yeah, there's cool. still more to discover too, which is why I have to go back to France. Uh, I can give you little bits of it, like that. Uh, uh, I never really studied a deck of cards, and then a magician pointed something out to me I thought was very cool, and I it kind of sat with me. You know, the, when you look at the four queens, you know nothing probably important about the four queens. There's just four queens. They're all facing out. Yeah, I know we've, but, we've got the one-eyed jacks and the suicide kings, but I, I don't know any names yeah, for the queens. Yeah, so that king that's a suicide king isn't a suicide king. He's a murdered king, and I can prove it. Uh, and that's what this movie is going to be about on my end of it. It's one element of the film. Uh, when you look at the four queens sometimes, stack them on top of each other so that you spread them, not like in a poker hand, but sort of uh, linear. And look at the queens. You'll see three of the queens face one direction, and for some reason, the artist made the other queen face the other direction. And there must be a reason for that, because artists don't just do things like that. Back in that time, when playing cards were first made, uh, people didn't read. Very few people read. And so most things were told through pictures and stories and relating the story over and over. That's why we have stained glass windows and things like that. And we all know that, you know, da Vinci hid messages in his paintings, and so did other artists. And I kept looking at that queen, and then I looked at the king... And then I started looking at the jacks and the other queens and jacks and kings. And then I realized that the artists had hidden tons of elements in the designs of the playing cards to tell a story. And it wasn't until I went on a trip to France that I saw uh, part of the design at a castle. And while at the castle, I realized that this is where it happened. And then I started tracing it back. And the story grows from there on how I was able to actually connect it to historical people and how I really believe that a king was murdered and that an artist hid it in a deck of cards to share the story with the world and we've just forgotten it and turned it into a deck of cards that everybody owns. Yeah, I, I do think it's interesting what you were saying to me, um, I think before we started recording, How, and I guess this is, is true for magicians as well, but you know, for, for poker players, the cards are so central to what we're doing and um, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about poker strategy and, and gambling strategy, but not really focused that much on the the cards themselves. The tool. Right. Yeah, we ignore the tool and work around what the tool does. It's really interesting. I've done that all my life as a magician. I will say, in, in my defense, I was primarily an online poker player for a long time, so I was, I was not handling physical cards for much of my career. But I think even as a layman here, if you're not a poker player or a magician, that art, those kings and queens have become so iconic. Um, they're everywhere. I think, you know, we could all draw them from memory. Um, it's the same kind of thing. It's sort of a, it's a blindness that becomes when you've seen something so many times mm -hmm. that you just stop looking at it. And so I think that's a definite a goal of the film is that after watching it that you never look at a deck of cards the same way again because we're going to talk about the mathematics in the deck, some of the things that Sean touched on, uh, the history of the design. Uh, we're looking into the psychology of card magic and so how the designs of the cards feed into the ability of a magician to use them to manipulate our perceptions and create illusions. Um, and um, yeah, so we're, we're kind of covering the deck from, from a number of different ways. Um, and from different people's perspectives, we have four other, what I consider the finest sleight of hand artists in the world. There's Juan Tamariz, he's in his late 70s from Spain, who's like a television icon over there. Uh, they refer to him as the maestro. Uh, we're going to talk to uh, Alexandre de Vivier, she's from uh, Paris, France. She uh, fooled Penn and Teller, and she's a second-generation magician. Uh, female, very, very small group of uh, women in magic. 
And then uh, Michael Vincent from uh, London, England. He's a three-time close-up champion and a very unique individual that uh, a few years back, he woke up one morning and discovered he was deaf. And uh, it has only helped to improve his performance. And then Richard Turner from uh, Texas. And Richard is, without a doubt, the best card mechanic in the world today. Um, And this guy does stuff with a deck of cards that'll blow your mind. And then when you find out that he's blind, it becomes even cooler. Yeah, I watched some um, footage of um, Richard doing some dealing. Yeah, I was blown away. It was pretty impressive. It's crazy, right? His second (laughs) deal, when he takes the second card from the top of the deck and he just does it, you would never, even in slow motion, in milliseconds, you won't see it. Yeah, I definitely tried. I tried my best (laughs) on YouTube. Uh, I couldn't slow it down enough to catch it. It was amazing. He has something like, he has a closet in his house, something like 5,000 decks of cards, because he literally wears through three to five decks of cards a day, because he is constantly shuffling. Sean just recorded a short interview with him last week that we posted on on our site, and he talks about uh, shuffling with both hands while making love to his wife. <laughs> uh, he's put in some, he estimates over 160,000 hours um, into his shuffling uh, and his card handling techniques. And he's also a sixth degree black belt in karate. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> he, um, he, and, and, to add, and to add to his resume, uh, he's also the official quality control um, guru for Bicycle. So any cards that they make, like, go through his fingers before they are approved for sale. Wow. I'm curious. That's pretty much every card in America when you think United States Playing Card Company because they do all the bicycle, they do all the B, all casino stocks. You name a casino in Las Vegas, they print them for them. It's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. We... um. I, th- I think we kind of take for granted that, that a magician will be able to do card tricks or that's sort of thought of as like a, a stock thing for magicians. But when I, th- I feel like it wouldn't have to be. I mean, there's lots of other kinds of things that magicians do. Like, why are cards so central to, to magic? What's the relationship there? I think it's like the gateway drug to magic. <laughs> so it's an easy, accessible tool uh, that has a million possibilities. Think of music. There's only eight notes in music, and yet there are billions and billions of songs. We have 52 playing cards, so we have so many more possibilities than eight notes. And so there are, it, it's only limited by our imagination, and people can relate to them easily. I pull out a little yellow box with dragons painted on it. You go, that's a shifty little yellow box with dragons on it. I have no idea what that is. But I pull out a deck of cards, and you relax and go and say, oh, I play with those all the time. And then we do something that completely devastates your, your belief system, and you go, "Okay, that, that's magic." That really got and me Alex thinking. Andrew also talks about the uh, the storytelling potential that exists because I mean, those figures that we see on the cards, we've kind of turned into characters over time. Um, there have been psychological studies that you know ask people just to pick a card out of their minds without actually looking at a deck, and you would think that you know there's 52 cards, so odds are that that those choices would be spread equally amongst all those options, but they're not. We, we are drawn to specific cards. We go back to the Ace of Spades or the King of Hearts regularly. We're just 
drawn to those things. And I think uh, we use those these figures to tell stories to ourselves as well. And so I think that's part of the draw. Yeah, I, I was really captured um, one of the lines from, from the, the trailer, and I thought of it just now when, when Sean was talking, of um, the, you know, part of what magic does is it... You know, I guess reminds people that what you see is not necessarily you know what, what's actually happening, um, or, or just sort of shakes your confidence in in what you're seeing, um, which strikes me as a you know kind of like a, a, a cool like countercultural like anti authoritarian sort of uh, ethos. Is that uh, am, am I onto something there? Is is that is that ethos there among the uh, professional magicians? Oh, definitely. We see that people these days are really siloed, and we're wanting to find a way to open and expand people's minds. It, it's That's what magic has done from the dawn of time. We make you question uh, what you accept. Mm -hmm. That's part of what being a magician is. Um, uh, we, as magicians, we create a lot of this, the things that you now call science. We were doing and hiding before they were discovered <laughs> and, and became more popular with everybody else. Uh, we did that so that magicians would have, you know, something unique. Uh, the, the same thing, I think magicians discover so many things before they become popular and then become accepted by everybody. It's just what we do. I love that magic evokes emotions in people, and a card magic especially. It reminds you of, you know, uh, smoky back rooms or Las Vegas or uh, uh, poker tournaments. When you see the, the guy, you know, from, uh, I, I mentioned in the trailer about Maverick and Sting and all those sort of rounders, the, the movie Shade. Anything that uh, uh, makes you, you know, uh, uh, feel like you're, you're in an exclusive place doing something different. Uh, I built my theater to be a speakeasy because I just love that feeling of people thinking they're someplace special, doing something unique with something that's so ordinary as a deck of cards. I feel like it, it's pretty easy, and you, know, you just rattled off a bunch of like pop culture uh, things that, that feature like poker or, or gambling very prominently. I mean, you're probably more familiar than I am, but I feel like magic has gotten a little bit of a short shrift. I, I can't think of like a, a real like blockbuster movie, or I mean, there was like Joe Bluth on Arrested Development, but that was not a very flattering portrait of oh, uh, magicians. We have the Now You See Me, Now You Don't series. That's okay. Uh, but, um, yeah, you're right. Uh, ma magic has really been given the, the short stick. Even though they're the... I think it, it's even looked that way in arts and in popular... We're kind of guilty, too. A lot of magicians uh, portray that same stereotype of Top Hat and Bunny Rabbit. And I find it really odd. At the end of a show where I perform for... I built this little intimate spot of 30 people. And it's adults, and they pay a premium price to come in and see a show... And as they're leaving, they go, wow, my kids would like this. <laughs> I'm like, wait, did you just not stand at the end of my show? And the words, the lady's words the other night were gobsmacked. I guess that's a good thing. She said, I was gobsmacked. And I said, well, awesome. And she goes, my children would love this. Said, but you did too, right? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> okay, so make sure. Yeah, I don't think it's often enough like regarded as an art form. Um, and I, I totally think it is. And this is... Um, Another one of the, the goals of the film is to, to try and give people, without actually, you know, revealing secrets, um, but to give people a better appreciation of what it takes to really excel. Like, you know, someone, I mean, not everyone is like Richard putting in 160,000 hours, but you still have to put in, like, I've been to Sean's house his, his entire life from... <laughs> 
the garage to the bathroom to the well i haven't been in this bedroom but you know every square inch of that house is devoted to magic um his wife toured with him for years and was you know the woman you cut in half <laughs> um so uh it's it's an all-encompassing thing and i don't think people really appreciate what it takes to to be at the top of your game i think some of your listeners who are at the top of the game in poker will know that you have to put countless hours and you have to study and you have to uh, read from other people and you look at the other people in your field and try to study them and understand and that's exactly what we do in magic the difference is in poker uh when you're competing uh you're on television doing it against lots of people it draws lots of attention there's a lot of money involved and you're out there magicians are the opposite of jugglers and and gamblers we learn our skill and then hide it we spend all our time developing something to not show it publicly where on the other side the juggler learns all the fancy tricks and then shows them and we all clap for the cool juggling thing and with a magician we learn all those cool things and then try to not let you see them yeah i'm curious about the challenges of keeping and i know you mentioned like not revealing secrets in in the the film um you know poker for a long time i think there was this ethos of back when there was like a small group of people who were really good at poker about not sharing uh, information and some people who wrote early poker books talk about kind of getting hassled or, or threatened or whatever and now it's just, i mean just with the internet and everything i mean this we talk regularly about poker strategy on here and, and give away secrets all the time. It's just like in the age of, of the internet and this era, I feel like it's just a, an impossible task to, that you're going to keep something like that secret. So I'd rather be the one selling it if you know if it's going to be out yeah. there anyway. Um, <laughs> you know, but I mean, do magicians confront that? Back in the day, there was a book <clears throat> called Expert at the Card Table by S.W. Erdnays. And S.W. Erdnays is not the person's real name because he was a professional gambler and he was terrified of the repercussions that would come from explaining uh, all the little cheats and ways that professional gamblers would cheat or advantage play to get ahead. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've read the book, but for magicians, it's one of our quintessential like Bibles. But like, how, how do you keep that information secret now? I mean, there's, I don't know how many professional magicians in the world, but I would think tens of thousands at least. You know, how, how does this information stay secret in the internet age? We're, we're finding it harder, um, but uh, uh, we're, we're using the technology to our advantage too. Uh, uh, like I teach magic, but I teach it to magicians who are qualified. I do them in lectures and now I use Zoom and I make sure that all the people that are you know, coming to it are qualified and that they belong to organizations like the International Brotherhood of Magicians or the Society of American Magicians or FISM, Federation International Society de Magique, which all have uh, ethical statements that you have to agree to uh, before you join, uh, which then reduces the chances. What happens is that one of those people shares it with a magician who isn't part of an organization or has less ethics, and they make the YouTube video. Mm -hmm. But then we discredit that person slowly until people <laughs> realize that maybe that's not the... It's like back in the day when they came out with the masked magician. And, yeah, I was uh, just thinking that. Oh, it was hilarious. As a professional magician, I never laughed harder than them exposing the floating of a lady. And they used a forklift. And I'm like, wow, I don't own a forklift. And I've been floating my wife for 25 years. <laughs> they made up so much crap. Because think about it. If you don't know what the real answer is, whatever answer you're given is the right one. Right? Yeah. And so, Good point. yeah, they made up stuff and no magician. Well, a small group got together, called themselves Wham, uh, World Alliance of Magicians, and they complained about it. But they complained for a reason, because then it gave more uh, traction 
to those methods which were not the methods we were really using. It's devious. That's actually one of the things that we will explore in the film is um, with each of the magicians that Sean's going to meet, uh, we're going to ask them to talk about uh, their favorite uh, plot in card magic, which is sort of um, a, a subset of a certain style of trick. Um, but it can be performed in a number of different ways. So we'll get each one to kind of talk about the history, like how they learned it, who developed it originally, um, then what they've done to add their own flavor and flair to it and make the trick their own. Uh, and then at the end of the film, Sean's going to take all of those uh, plots that he's uh, learned and, and discussed with the other magicians and string them into, together into a brand new routine that adds his own level of creativity um, and style to it and that will tell the story of this murdered king um, and will perform that live in front of an audience. And so that's also a chance to see you know, Sean's creative process because he's actually going to be coming up with this uh, routine as we're making the film. Um, so uh, that's another kind of chance to, to see how, how the blocks fit together. Starting to sound like the aristocrats for magic tricks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited and also terrified because the, the four other subjects are all brilliant, and I know that they'll have plots that they love, and I, I haven't explored every plot. There are too many plots to explore. So for me, it'll be a learning experience, uh, which is exciting. And it's also terrifying to take what I've learned and to then try to adapt it to something I can do and then perform it on film while explaining the story of the murder and making it all come together. So, yeah, it should be exciting. I'm curious, you know, I, I know you have the, this title of a two-time two -time, uh, world magic champion of uh, specifically of card magic. Yes. What um what what does that process look like? like there's like a, a world sure. championship of magic so, that you uh, compete at. You compete in the regional competitions within the International Brotherhood of Magicians all over the world. There's 401 rings they call them. We just got our 401st one this week in Barcelona. So there are organizations of magicians, 20 more magicians. They gather together. In those, you get to compete within your own club to see who's the best and what they're good at and what fields. And then we have and, sorry, regional that's competitions. Just, that's like voted on by the club or the public is by there? The club okay, so it's just like... And those people are moved forward to go to regionals. And to regionals, you go to the international. The International Brotherhood of Magicians takes place once a year for, well, this next year will be, 2022 will be in Atlanta, Georgia. It'll be the 100th anniversary. They, uh, they have competitions there in all the different categories for, you know, sleight of hand or for general magic and for stage, mentalism, that sort of thing. Uh, you win those. And then you get to go to what they call the uh, FISM, Federation International Society Magique um, Continental Championships. And those are held every three years somewhere in the world. And there's only so many slots. Like for North America, I think there's 14 slots uh, for the uh, nine different categories. And then those people all go to what we refer to as the Olympics of Magic. Uh, it's held every three years uh, somewhere in the world. The last one was held in uh, Busan, Korea. The one before was in Italy. And the one coming up will be held for the first time ever in North America in Quebec City in July next year. And uh, there you're judged by a panel of former world champions and uh, historians. And you're judged on a, a l different levels from presentation to originality to uh, uh, technique. Uh, and uh, from that, uh, they pick a world champion in each category, like general magic or manipulation or mentalism or grand illusion, or in my case, card magic. And then 
all the world champions go against each other uh, in a, another round, one above that, where they give the Grand Prix world champion, which is the world champion of the world champions. And I have the distinction of being the world champion of card magic and the Grand Prix world champion of sleight of hand magic. Very impressive. And then they put us in a cage and we fight to the death. <laughs> I, I guess you've won that also then. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There was no cage. I made that part up. It was like Thunderdome. Sorry. So yeah, it's a lengthy process. Uh, some people can do it in a short period of time. There's wonderful magicians like uh, Shin Lim. Anybody who has held the deck cards in their hand has probably seen Shin on shows like uh, AGT. Uh, he competed the first time. I was his judge in 2012. I think he took sixth place the first time, came back three years later, 2015 in Italy, and took first prize in Card Magic. And then went on the very next year to go on AGT and win it, and then went back to AGT and won the champions of AGT. So it's like winning the Grand Prix, only I have to go against dancers and singers. And <laughs> kind of fun. So, so at the Grand Prix, are the judges um, sort of doing the same thing that Penn and Teller do on Fool Us, where they're trying to figure out how you do the trick? Yes and no. Um, it, it's, if you can fool them, that's the best. Um, I've been on Penn & Teller's Fool Us twice. Uh, well, three times I've been on three. it, but I was the first person to fool them twice. Uh, and and I never went on the show to fool them. Uh, if you go on with that attitude, uh, you're probably going to fool them but not entertain them, and they'll find something. They only need a flaw in the routine to say, I saw this, and you're done. But if you thoroughly entertain them and they see a little bit, they may forget about it because they're too busy laughing. <laughs> Yeah, I watched your three episodes. I was I was blown away. It was very hey. impressive. Yeah. I, I want to do... I, I just love magic, and I love cards, and I just want to do more with them. And, and, and it's so funny that I've spent my entire life... Uh, I, my mom says when I was born, the doctor slapped me, and I said, pick a card. <laughs> I learned my numbers and colors from a deck of cards, uh, which probably explains why in grade school I thought after 10 came Jack. But, but I never looked at them. I mean, y you don't look at them either. Think about that. How right. weird is that? But then a carpenter probably doesn't look at his saw a whole bunch either. Right? It's Makes like, sense. yeah. But now that I look at them, I can't stop looking at them. It's like insatiable. And what's really bothering me are these new vanity decks that change things in them just to be vain. They put like their own faces on the kings and things. I'm like, no, no, you're erasing a, a piece of hidden history. And uh, yeah. I think it's really crazy that the magic community has jumped on board this film. Uh, we have this Kickstarter going, and in less than 12 hours, we were fully funded. And within five, three days, we were we were already at our first stretch goal, and now we're third one. It's, And I know that the people in the poker community will, when they hear things about this, they're going to pick up that deck of cards and look and go, oh, that's weird. Why does that queen face the other way? And what's with the king of hearts? And he originally didn't have a sword. We go back, he had an axe in his hand. And then you'll see the King of Diamonds has an axe behind his back. Why is it behind his back? And you start going, all of this is, you know, we still hide images to this day. Uh, look at FedEx. Have you looked at the FedEx logo? There's an arrow in the middle of it. Yeah, I just assumed that was because they're sending things. Amazon. <laughs> have you looked at the Amazon logo? It has a little arrow underneath, right? It's because the arrow goes from the A to the Z, because Amazon supplies everything from A to Z. Huh. But we don't know that. We've seen that logo a billion times, right? Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, they 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 call it the um, Amazon Smile, but when you yeah. think about it, yeah, it, it does make more sense as the A to Z thing. It's the A to Z thing. They're they're hiding it there, and <laughs> artists have been doing that forever. And now now Sean's added his uh, his name to that role because for the Kickstarter, he's actually designed a deck of cards for us that we're offering as a perk to, to thank people for their contributions. And so, although we've kept the face cards through the original form because that's an important part of the film. Uh, the back of the cards um, now uh, have integrated all sorts of elements of the story of the, of the film, and uh, it must be really cool. I think we've uh, had about 800 decks uh, claimed in the first two weeks of our campaign, so we're really excited about that. Yeah, they're crazy cool. It's a really soft stock, back to the days of uh, stud playing cards. If you remember when Walgreens used to put out stud cards, it's got that really nice feel to them. Anybody who likes a deck of cards... We'll, we'll, we'll love them. And I integrated a hidden message into the back of the cards, which is fun. <laughs> One thing that's uh, popular in, in the poker world, and I'm curious what your reaction to this will be, like when I play online poker, there's a setting on the site where I can have a four-color deck. So it's easier for me to distinguish, you know, if I have clubs or spades at a glance when, when they're different colors. Uh, d- does that strike you as heretical? Yeah, it's so weird. Uh, I- <laughs> It's so weird. And the, the low vision cards throw me off, too. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, my eye picks cards instantly. Your, your eye does, too, because you, when, you, when you're not playing online and you, you peek, you peek, and you don't want anybody to see. It's, it's easy to see. Uh, playing, you know. So, yeah, when I see blue cards and green cards, they just blow my mind. It's like so weird to me. It's just so weird. But think, if you had those, you would learn more than two colors when you were growing up. True. <laughs> Everything in this world is not black and red. Everybody else is black and white. It's very confusing to me. Do you know the study? I, I encountered this. I, I imagine it's it's fairly famous, but I encountered it in um, Thomas Kuhn's the uh, the structure of scientific revolution. Um, but he talks about uh, they did the, some like psychologists did the study where they're showing people very quickly um, playing cards that are the wrong color. So it'll be like a red ace of spades or something like that. And people for a while, their eye, you know, the eye will just see it correctly so they'll either say it's the ace of hearts or they'll say it's the ace of spades they won't say it's a red ace of spades but then like for some subset of people in, in this experiment I, I hope i'm remembering this correctly um essentially like they they it really started to upset them the acid <laughs> so he, he's I, currently I showing me a... the idea that, that <laughs> you can see one thing and not see another thing and how it can throw off your mind i watched an entire experiment where they wrote the word yellow in red right and the word blue in yellow and people could not say the word they saw the other side. And it was fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, but like some people, I mean, this was like really upsetting for them the when they, I mean, I guess it's th- the thing you were saying before, like when people realize what they see is not what's, what's really happening. Like some subset of participants of participants in this study, like really it was like, it was a problem. Like they, it was, it was deeply upsetting to them to realize what was happening. Oh yeah. Well, cause it, our reality is based on certain things we accept, and we just take things for granted. Like, if we, we can't question everything. Uh, I had a mentor, Jerry Andrus, who, it was very clear, said, you know, we can't question gravity. We know when, that we're stuck to the earth. When we get out of bed, if you're wondering if your feet are going to touch the ground or float up, your day is just going to be shot, right? <laughs> <laughs> certain yeah. things you just take for granted. And the moment that thing is torn out from beneath you, uh, Jerry used to do a talk uh, for years. Uh, I knew him, and the first time I saw him do his professional talk, uh, he put his fingers through the lenses of his glasses, which is why I did it in the Penn and Teller show, the second episode that I was on. I had glasses with no glass in them, and I did it because I wanted you to accept things that you 
just accept it. It's like, well, why would you wear glasses frames without glasses? Well, I did it because I wanted to see if you would notice, but you won't because you just accept those things. And I think that's how all that got hidden in a deck of cards is after a while we just accepted them. That's what it was. See, when I when I saw that, I obviously hit the rewind button. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when you were reading in the fake book, uh, I could kind of see a glare on your glasses when you were looking down but then yeah. when you put your finger through I was like wait a minute <laughs> uh, the lens currently isn't there but air doesn't have a glare to it so there was yeah, something but, there before but your brain reads it in your yeah. brain is the most amazing tool uh, Carlos can you spell the word spot like a spot on my shirt S-P-O-T and what do you do when you come to a green light stop no, you go at green lights. You stop at the red lights. <laughs> you know what's funny? I think somebody did that to me once before, and I knew where you were going, and I still did <laughs> Your brain can't help it. It just wants to make assumptions and leaps. It's what we do. And that's something that the magicians definitely take advantage of, is all the sort of like perceptual shortcuts that we take. Um, because there's so much information coming to us on a constant basis, you have to kind of parse things down into things that make sense to you, um, and that just leaves a lot of gaps that can be exploited. We're going to visit with Jay Olson. Jay's a past student of mine and now a scientist whose whole thing is on the, how the brain and magic relate to each other. I'm very excited to see you know, what he'll contribute to the film on this sort of subject. I feel like, John, there, there's some connection to the craft of filmmaking here as well, right? Of, um, you know, what, what you choose to show people and what people choose to believe based on, uh, on what they're shown, the, the, the choices that you're making as a, a, a director of how to, how to put things together. I mean, you're, you're sort of manipulating audience expectations too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like my, my background is, is working on dramatic production. I was a camera assistant, so I've spent, you know, I've worked on a large number of productions, and I still get off on the ba even basic amounts of movie magic, even if it's not like a big special effects thing, even if it's just, you know, a romantic comedy like, and that exists in today's world. We've still created these people from nothing when we decide, you know, what they wear and what they eat and how they fill their apartments and these, because these are all expressions of who they are as people, and then we put them in these environments, and it feels really real, but just outside that really perfectly organized frame is, you know, uh, Grip uh, having a snack, and there's other guy having a nap here, and some <laughs> other people are arguing, um, and so it's definitely an illusion, even like the like there is no like moving pictures, like you know, a second of film is 24 individual for individual pictures. And they just strung together gives your brain the sense of an illusion mm. and a sense of motion. Um, so everything about film is is constructed and created to tell a specific story. Um, the difference is is that when I work on a film, you know, if I'm working on a large production, there will be several hundred people working. Even you know, on this documentary, which would be uh, a smaller scale thing. There's still going to be probably in the end, you know, a dozen, 15 people who have each contributed a small amount to collectively create some movie magic, uh, where someone like Sean goes up on stage and, you know, creates everything on his own and is the only person who you are focusing all your attention on. Um, so I think that's the a primary difference of where, where our, uh, our art forms differ. Yeah. But, you know, film started as magic. George Melies, you're all familiar with the uh, film of The Rocket. Uh, shooting into the man in the moon's eye I've, I've seen it 
Yeah, he was a magician. Huh. First and primarily a magician. Did not know and he that. used that film uh, as one of the examples of how he manipulated the illusion. Uh, later he had ones where he put, took people's heads off or they became mermaids underwater. But it was all done under the guise of a magic show originally. It wasn't done as, let's go see a movie. It was, here's a magic trick. And people came in to watch this magic. Yeah, I definitely did not know that. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I got a question about the relationship between magic and comedy. So Sean is a really funny guy, and I noticed that uh, a lot of magicians are um, very funny. So is comedy also kind of used to um, kind of hide the magic? I don't know if it's meant to hide it or accent accent the performance uh my dad used to say uh use comedy in your magic because if they're laughing they're not watching your hands right so it's not to hide the magic it's to hide the technique so that the magic right. is accentuated so yeah uh i i i i just love that dad jokes are popular because apparently <laughs> since i was 20 i was a dad um, I, i've been telling dad jokes before i had a child uh, and so now that they're popular, I just love that my corny, you know, humor is relatable and that people laugh at just the right moment when I need to do something sneaky and you don't see it because you're too busy laughing. <laughs> and I love to say, if you don't laugh, that part's the magic. <laughs> How important is, is the audience for you? Like, do you, do you have a preference for audiences who are sort of eager to suspend disbelief versus audiences who come in sort of skeptical and like their, their objective is to try to figure out how you're how you're doing it? I think um, I, I love all audiences. Um, my my normal shows before the pandemic were twelve to fifteen hundred people a show. Uh, my big ones were like I did thirty thousand people in Shanghai, sixty thousand, sixty thousand in Beijing, China, Jeez. in a ping pong arena. That's amazing <laughs> that sixty thousand people would watch ping pong. No, um, sixty thousand. That was live broadcast. Three hundred million viewers watched it. Three hundred million. That's like six hundred million eyes. Gave it give it take a few from farming accidents. Um, so in those audiences, I had everybody from the skeptic to the, the total believer. Uh, now that I work audiences at Hidden Wonders of 30 people, uh, you can tell what the audience is. The majority are either, wow, I want to see magic or go ahead, fool me, magic boy. Mm. And uh, <laughs> I love them both. Uh, nothing gives me more joy than to see a person sitting in the audience with their arms crossed, legs crossed, looking stern like they were dragged to the show. <laughs> and at the end of the show, looking like a six-year-old kid going, oh, my God, that was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> I, I consider that like a personal win. Uh, I had uh, two guys come just the other night. It's usually couples or families. And these two guys came. And arms crossed, legs crossed, dead center. Uh, didn't clap for the first three tricks. And then I broke out a deck of cards and I started doing some stuff. And I said to him, you seem more impressed with this to the one guy. And he says, I I'm a card player. And I said, great, come on up. Uh, what game do you want to play? And he goes, what? And I said, I'm just going to show you that what you think is wrong and that I can do it even though, really? So we play blackjack. And he asked me if he could deal. So I said, sure. If I shuffle, you deal. You can even cut. And so I shuffled and ran the deck into position where I needed it and then put what they call a breather into it and then asked him to cut. And he cut to my breather. And then he dealt seven hands in a row of blackjack that I won every one of them even though he came super close once, but I did that on purpose to make him feel it. <laughs> and the end, you know, he hugged me. This full-grown man hugged me. He was like, I just want to tell you, this was the coolest night. I was 10 years old at my birthday. It was like, very cool. 
You're talking about the breather reminded me. Can can you just sort of rattle off for us some of the um, we've got a breather, second dealing. It seems like there, there's a lot of cool jargon in the magic world. Oh yes, stuff that's uh, that's used <laughs> when not gambling in a gambling situation. Uh, things like bottom, second, centers, uh, putting a breather in, crimps, uh, creasing a card. Uh, all are terms that you can Google pretty quickly and see, and they're all. Uh, pretty typical and common there's other stuff breather is a little less common uh and breather is really nice it gives me the ability to allow you to cut the cards but you'll cut to where i want you to and that's really that's like an uh, an ironclad guarantee like i, I feel like that has 99, to go wrong for you 99.9 percent of the chance but hey there's always a little gamble right that, that's what i'm like like I, I, I know that every single person who like goes up to try to fool you is thinking the same thing, but like my thought would be like I would expect you to do something like that, and I would try to like cut in a really obscure like just cut the top card off the top of the deck. Like I, I would try to like fuck with and you. I would still win. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing brings me more joy than the person that I can tell by your character if you're going to be the person that's going to just cut the cards or the person that's going to challenge me on the cutting the cards. <laughs> And I will prepare them for you specifically. Yeah, we, we call this leveling in poker, where you're sort of trying to get one step ahead of what's the other. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'd encourage all of you to go check out uh, Richard Turner's performance on Fool Us, where he sits down at the table with Penn and Teller, uh, asks them how many poker hands they want in the deal. Um, they say five. I think Teller's going to be sitting in the fifth position. Um, they do a wash of the cards on the table. Uh, both guys shuffle it. They hand it back to Richard, who will remind you is blind. Uh, Richard deals once, hands the stack of cards back. The card gets shuffled. The deck gets shuffled by some by teller between each card that is, each round of cards that is delivered, and he still delivers. I think like four of a kind to teller, while every other hand gets crap. And so his control of the deck is is otherworldly. Yeah. When when you're controlling a deck, uh, when you're getting breaks, when you're when you're you know, actually holding the deck is so much more fun than when the dealer has it. But there's still lots you can do when the dealer has it. Yeah, that's um, that's the part I don't like. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I'm I'm especially fond of felt tables because there's a little give in them, so it's easy to put a breather in a card when you're pushing the cards back to the dealer. Oh, man. This is why I play online poker. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, you're playing online poker, and then I'm like, well, at least you're a lot safer. But you don't know who you're playing against. Maybe you're playing against a guy who's got an algorithm computer sitting right next to him who's running the numbers. I'm not sure. That's true, too. Yeah. Now, I feel like it often goes the other way around. Like, there, there's a lot of people who are very skeptical of online poker and i i like to remind them of the danger of having human beings handling cards like that that's it's, it's not a given that that's an honest game either it's <laughs> nope there 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 is um there's no guarantee that there's an honest game anywhere and uh, there's a great quote that says uh trust everyone but always cut the cards mm -hmm. <laughs> even that doesn't help <laughs> <laughs> and apparently that doesn't always help either <laughs> What um are, are there? And I kind of asked you about the the like the the popular culture representation of, of magic earlier. You know, are, are there things that you would point people to as particularly good um, representations yeah. of, of magic? All, all the artists that are in Lost in the Shuffle, uh, go check out them. 
Uh, they are brilliant artists. Um, seeing yeah. their magic is so different than most. Uh, and definitely don't miss the film because it'll give them a whole new respect about magic and open their eyes to playing cards and the possibilities are there. John coined a great phrase of, you know, there's four suits, 52 cards, but a million possibilities. And I never really thought about it that way, but he's absolutely right. Um, I, I look at, uh, I, I've done short little interviews with uh, all the artists just to talk about how we're going to be interviewed later. And each one of them is such a unique person, and they bring a whole unique presentation style. Michael Vincent holds a deck of cards like it's a musical instrument. And uh, uh, all his performances are credits to his mentors in everything. I can see the work of Harry Lorraine and Alan Allen and all these people that I've studied. I've studied. He's lived with them. He's, he's picked them apart and taken them to the bone. And they, they're like living entities within his performances. And that's fascinating to me. Other films on Magic I'd highly recommend. There's a, a documentary called Delt, which is about uh, Richard Turner. And that really gets a, a deep dive into his life. Um, and then uh, I think Hulu carries a film called In and of Itself by a magician named uh, Derek Delgado, which is a taping of an a off-Broadway show he did for a year. Um, it's more of like a one-man show than like a magic show. So it's a one-man show. It's a very personal storytelling experience um, that has like six or seven awesome effects that he pulls off uh, in the middle. Not all card tricks, but he is a pretty expert card mechanic himself. Uh, so I'd highly recommend those two as, as docs for people to check out. Yeah. Anything by Darren Brown is great. Uh, there's also a wonderful documentary by uh, Kenrick McDonald called uh, Quiet Masters. And it's an exploration of the African-American magician. And it takes from Henry Box Brown, who was a slave, who actually packed himself in a box to escape a plantation. I've heard this story. Yeah, it's crazy good. Uh, I think those are all probably available on Amazon, too. Yeah. That reminds me yeah. of, um, have you read the... Was it the Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay? I guess that's more about an escape yes. artist than, but it's a similar idea. Yeah. The person uh, to get out of uh, Nazi Germany is packed inside of a uh... with a golem. Yes, <laughs> I'm not familiar with this one. I feel embarrassed. I'm going to look for it as soon as this uh, is I'll, over. I'll it to you. <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs> uh, John, do you want to tell us anything about your um, your other films, your earlier films? Um, sure. Uh, I. Like I said, I've been working in the film industry for uh, more than 20 years. Um, I produced my first uh, feature documentary back in 2011, uh, 2010, and that was about the uh, Vancouver Olympics that uh, we hosted here and uh, how that affected the city. And uh, last year, I released my first uh, feature narrative. It was called All Joking Aside. It's about uh, a young woman trying to get ahead in the field of uh, stand-up comedy. And uh, that actually just started airing on Stars in the U.S. I think today, huh. um, and uh, we took home the uh, New Visions Award at Cinequest um, at our festival premiere, and uh, so that was a really great experience. But I'm I'm stoked about this because um, this will be my first opportunity to direct a feature. I've directed five shorts in the past, um, but this is the first time to direct a feature, and this is a, a goal I've been working towards for a long time. And um, yeah, I can't think of anything else I'd rather be working on right now. Cool. Carlos, was there anything else you wanted to uh, to ask? Yeah, 
How'd you change that deuce of hearts to a deuce of spades? <laughs> well, it was, it's not even a spade. It was just a We're black heart. Audio podcast, so they're not going to see it. I did that just for you. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't see it, but I, I'm, I'm the guy with the arms. I'm the guy with the arms folded, trying to figure out like how is this shit done. I love stuff like when I meet people in person. I try to like. <clears throat> <laughs> Give them a reaction that's different, right? Uh, set a mood that, that people are just going, how is that possible? So, for those who can't, John just sort of vomited a deck of cards out of his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Sean just did vomit. That's what I do. I vomit out the- Yeah, and I li- also like to know where the straw went in the ah. uh, first meeting that two of you had. <laughs> <laughs> John maybe wants to know that, too. <laughs> Magic. Well, the, the other version of that story that Sean told me was that he was at a Starbucks, uh, I think, in Alaska. And uh, as the uh, barista came back to the bar with his coffee, he disappeared to straw up his nose, and she completely freaked out and ran to the back and refused to come out, even when he hadn't paid him. Yeah. I got a free coffee. She wouldn't come back up. That's so awesome. Uh, so where do you want to send people You know, to back the Kickstarter or, or whatever else? Yes, please. Uh, they can go to lostintheshufflefilm.com. Lostintheshufflefilm.com. That takes you to the Kickstarter page. You can read more about the story. You can watch the trailers the guys have talked about. Uh, you can also see our brand new VIP perk, which is an evening with Richard Turner. Um, oh. So uh, this is a guy who's going, he's already gotten booked out a 1,500-room uh, the O2 Arena in London for March for a one-man show that he's um, he's working on, but you will get a chance to have an hour-long session uh, in a private room, you and the guest, with the best card mechanic in the world, and then say, hang out with him and, and have a drink after and, and hear some stories. Um, you'll also get to be an executive producer on the film uh, and uh, fly out to uh, one of our uh, theatrical premieres and be our special guest uh, for that. So I think that'd be something that'd be interest to your folks. Um, but yeah, we're having been a fantastic campaign so far. We're at 199% of our original yeah. goal. We're so close to 200, so it'd be really awesome if uh, one of your listeners uh, could help push us over that line. Um, but uh, yeah, we're really excited about the project and, and hope you guys will come check it out. It's a sure bet. <laughs> I was about to thank you guys, and now <laughs> take it all back. Um, yeah, it was, it was really interesting talking to you. I uh, certainly wish you the best with the the project, and you've definitely piqued my interest in uh, in this this whole this whole world. You know, I feel like poker. Um, I think it's gotten less to be the case. It used to be that like anyone who was a professional poker player was almost by definition going to have to be an interesting person. Um, I feel like it's, it's become a little bit more kind of mainstream now. It, it seems like magic is still kind of, uh, it's a pretty specific sort of person who's, who's going to dedicate their life to this. So what you're saying is weird. I get it. I get it. <laughs> well, weird, weird is a compliment in my book. I think so too. Uh, I think normal is just a setting on a washing machine. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew and Carlos, thanks for having us. And congrats on your first episode, Carlos. It's, I'd like to be here during your milestone. It's kind of cool. <laughs> Thank you. This is so much fun. All right. Have a good night, guys. Cheers. You too. Thanks. Take away the pain Sleep
the devotion of a car, the light of the fair passage of a bill, and the will sign on.